Okay, good morning everybody. I'm Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I don't know why I have nerves this morning. I'm not usually nervous when I share, but I am a little bit today, and I don't know if it's because I haven't led a meeting in a long time or because um, I am not in the most serene, calm, and peaceful place or because... um, you know, food is rearing its ugly head and emotions and other things. Um, I think part of the reason I have some nerves is because I want you to love this program. I don't need you to love me, although that would be nice. But I want you to love this program. And I want to say whatever I can say to help you love this program because I love this program and it saved my life. Um, before, before I speak in a meeting, I go off somewhere and I... Say the serenity prayer and I take a few deep breaths and I ask God to remove me and to speak through me to help me be of service to him and the people in the room. So I'm just going to trust that that's going to happen because I have no control over anything. Um, All right. So it seems like we don't have a lot of newcomers here, but let me find out. Is there anybody new who's walked in the room since we met our, our, our newcomer early on? How many of you have been in the fellowship for less than a year? Okay, how about less than five years? Okay. I don't know why I wanted to know that, but I just did. Because I'm an attorney. Thank you. <laughs> I am a non-practicing attorney um, at the moment. Hoping to change that. All right. So the best thing to do, I guess, is what it used to be like and what happened uh, and what it's like now. And I'll either do that or I won't. I don't know. Um, I have a little book of pictures here because I used to see people stand in front of the room and look fabulous. I'm not saying that I look fabulous, although I think from the neck up I look pretty fabulous. And I got a manicure yesterday, so that was pretty good, too. But um, uh, I didn't understand very well Uh, the hell of what people had been through when I looked at them because they looked normal they looked happy the people who stood up here Um, so I've got some pictures that you'll see Um, there's no light in my eyes for most of those pictures I smile sort of but there's no light in my eyes and they're forced smiles and the other thing is you'll see there's the first two pictures I'm just a little tiny baby I must have been I don't know a year two years I don't know I just the cutest little thing and I used to look at I looked at this picture for years before I realized that there's a Twinkie in my left hand I did not know that so I guess I guess I started early so I'll pass these around so you can see a little bit what it used to be like and so on um, I came into the fellowship in 1986 So that's a long time. For those of you doing the math, I think that's 29 years and a half. Uh, And uh, I came in because when I was was growing up, um, and I think I really didn't start uh, overeating until after I was 11 years old. I don't think it really became a problem then uh, because I learned when I was... uh, In my 20s, I had um, recovered memories of having been raped when I was 11 years old by a friend of the family. And it's interesting because I can actually see pictures before before that year and then after. And the pictures you'll see going through are like the school pictures you take. And, and I went from a normal-looking kid, there's some pictures in them, you know, me looking like a normal-looking kid, to this big old ballooned, you know, cheek, chubby cheek with chipmunks in my cheek, I mean, uh, what, uh, the chipmunk cheeks. Uh, because I, as I learned, um, I, I was small, I got hurt, so I got big. That's just, that's just how it went for me. Um, but I was the kind of kid that 
you know, I would take my allowance and, and during school I would go to the student store and buy a bunch of candy and then go around the back of the student store and eat it all and then come back and get some more. Or we had this period, you know, nutrition they called it, and I would go and get, um, you know, uh, these coffee cakes and these swirly cinnamon things and I'd go get one of each of those and I'd go eat those and I'd get back in line and get them again. And I'd bring you, bring you back memories for some of you. Huh? I see smiles. Many of us are about the same era, the same age. Um, I, when I was in high school, I used to stop at the 7-Eleven between my high school and my house, and I'd walk up and down the candy aisle, and sometimes I'd buy stuff, and sometimes I'd steal stuff, and sometimes I'd buy and steal, depending on how it was, and I'd have a brown paper bag full of candy, and I'd go home, I'd go in my bedroom, I'd close the door, I'd lie down, I had my own bedroom, the candy was here on my left side, the door was on the right side, and I would read and eat. And that's just sort of how I, that's how I did it. I, I didn't get that book that people say, children get when they're born that tells them how to live that tells them how to deal with feelings I it wasn't just food for me I also didn't know how to express myself um, if I was upset or hurt or sad I would sulk and my mom would say what's the matter and I'd say nothing <laughs> and that's because I didn't know how I did not know how to say what was bothering me because I didn't know so it's not just uh, it's not just recovery from, from incredible killer food addiction that I've gotten here. It's also I've learned how to express myself. I've learned how to know what I'm feeling and how to tell somebody what I'm feeling. I've learned how to say, this hurts. I'm sad. I'm scared. I'm lonely. One of my least favorite words in the English language. Lonely and loneliness. I don't even like the way it feels on my tongue. I guess because I spent most of my life lonely. Um, so I, I just sort of, I sort of, you know, scrambled my way through life. I, I'm, I'm a smart kid, so I did well in school. Um, you know, I, I graduated high school with honors. I, I went to college and I, you know, was on the dean's list and I did all those things really well. And um, so I had a lot of brain power. But there's something in the, I don't remember which step in which, if it's the, that's got to be the AA 12 and 12, that talks about, you know, or maybe it's the big book that, you know, our intellectual capabilities, not only do they not solve this overeating problem, but they can be a liability because they say you can't be too dumb <laughs> for the 12 steps, but you can be too smart. Um, so I had uh, this day in 1986, I'd been eating and eating and eating and eating, and um, I don't have to go through all the specifics, but I remember there was this much left in the package of crackers that I'd been eating all day long, and for those of you on the tape, it's, you know, I don't know, an inch, two inches, whatever. There were probably eight crackers left, and I had eaten so much that day that I, I had to, you know, undo my pants. In fact, I probably took off the pants and put on the very loose sweatpants, or maybe I just put on shorts, I don't even remember. But I was full. I was beyond full. I was having trouble breathing. I, you know, I, 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 I seeing from nods in the head that, I, that some of you would relate to eating so much that your body hurts, that my body hurt, and I just couldn't get a deep breath, and it was just awful. But I looked at that package of crackers, and I had to eat them. And at that moment, I realized I cannot stop. I never knew that before, and I was 20-something. I could not stop eating. I didn't come into OA to lose weight. I decided when I was 11 years old or 12 years old that I didn't stand a chance in hell at, at, at um, succeeding on any kind of diet. My whole family, you know, all the, when I was growing up, the, you know, the, all the family gatherings, the women would all be in the kitchen and eating and talking about losing weight, and the men would be doing whatever they were doing, and everybody was overweight. Everybody in my family was overweight. I can't think of anybody, a grandparent, 
I mean, I had a, my grandfather was three, four hundred pounds at one point. Um, my mother, I mean, everybody. I come from overweight. Um, there must be somebody who wasn't overweight in my family, but I can't remember who it might have been. So I just, and I tried a couple of commercial weight loss programs, and none of them worked. Not for more than, you know, a week or two weeks, maybe three weeks. I just couldn't do them. I could not do them with all the best intention in the world. And I think I started on my first diet when I was in junior high. Um, so I knew, that I, I knew that I couldn't diet. To this day, I know that I have absolutely no ability to control my food. None. Not any. Um, and don't think I haven't tried. I just can't do it. So I had heard about OA. I came to a meeting. And um, at my first meeting, I remember, I think it might have been my first meeting, I remember thinking, well, there were people talking about what I had been doing with food my whole life. I didn't know that other people would um, pick stuff up off the floor and eat it. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And I would see, I'd be at restaurants and I'd see plates going back with stuff and I'd think, what a waste of all that food. I'll eat it. Um, I, I have gone into the trash can for food. My own trash can, not other people's trash cans. I've gone into my own trash can for food. I'm, I, not that. <laughs> Desperate. Because if I really wanted something, I'd go buy it or I'd go steal it. I'm not going into other people's trash cans. Um, Got to draw the line somewhere, right? Um, and I, you know, I would, I would steal money. And, and the other thing I, is I didn't, I never, I couldn't, I couldn't make friends. I couldn't keep friends. I would do everything in the world I could do to get you to like me. I would buy, I would steal money and buy things and give them to you to get you to like me. I would let you cheat off my test in school to get you to like me. As I got older, I would sleep with you to get you to like me. So I was just always searching for things that I couldn't get in the ways that I was trying to get them. So I came to OA. I listened to him. I was at a meeting, this first meeting at Palms Park, actually. And I thought, oh, my gosh, th- these people are like me. And what I realized is, and I've since maintained this, it's like you guys get me and I get you. It's like I can tell you the punchline to the joke without telling you the joke and you get it. Nobody else gets it. Now, I took the first half of the first step before I came into the program. I knew I was powerless over food. The um, uh, Admitting that my life was unmanageable was a little bit harder for me. And it wasn't until somebody said to me, because I'm, I'm a great control freak. And, man, I tell you what, I, I am. I have great skills to control things. I'll tell you. Until it you know, blows up in my face. And maybe I just kid myself that I can control things. And I piss everybody off. And, um, but... It wasn't until somebody said to or I heard at a meeting or somebody said to me, I don't remember, is everything in your life the way you want it to be today? And I remember thinking, I, you know, I went to work, I went home, I ate. I went to work, I went home, I, eh, I was horribly underpaid, wasn't having a great time what I was doing. No, everything in my life is not the way I want it to be. And I didn't really, I didn't have anything called acceptance of what was. So that's when I was able to take the second half of step one. I realized my life was unmanageable because I didn't, it, it just wasn't great. I didn't like the way it was. <clears throat> so I, it, the way I started abstaining way back then, um, I, I, well, I had trouble with the higher power concept. I had a little trouble with that, but I'll, I'll talk about that if I have time or maybe somebody will raise a question. Well, the higher power concept. God is the most important thing in my life, so I shouldn't dismiss it as the higher, you know, the higher power concept. But for me, I heard all these people talk about abstinence, and I didn't know what it was. And so I decided that um, I heard enough people say three meals a day, nothing in between. Okay, I thought I'd try that. 
For me, it was three meals a day, nothing in between, anything I want. And the reason I did that is because I knew that I could not dictate what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. And I believed in setting the high jump bar really low so I could step over it and have a little bit of success. Because a little bit of success breeds a little bit more success. And I had big lunches. And I had big dinners. My breakfast has always kind of been the same. Except for when I eat a box of cereal instead of a bowl of cereal. But still. Um, so I, um, I would just I'd do this three meals a day and I would have big meals. What really got me, what really hooked me and got me started on the road to real recovery was the meeting I was at was having elections and they were talking about these service positions and the service positions were to be for six months each and, I, and they had this thing called delegate and a delegate only had to go to a delegate's meeting once a month and then come back and report to the meeting. And so that was only six times and I thought, well, that's going to be easy. That way it's not every single week and so I became a meeting delegate. Um, and from that, I became involved in inner group, and I became part of this family at meetings as well. But I, I, what I found is as I was giving more and more service, which actually to me was, it was getting a circle of friends because I didn't have a circle of friends. It never happened until I came into OA that I would walk into a room and people would actually smile when they saw me. Do you know how amazing that is? I walk into this room and people see me and smile That is, and say, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you and hug me. And I feel that way toward them, but I never thought anybody would feel that way toward me. So um, I found that, you know, I, got, I was on the inner group board and I did world service and I did region two and all of those, you know, a whole service period of time, which was great. And what I found was my food just started getting smaller. My meals just started getting smaller. I didn't do anything. It just happened. And I think it's because my big empty hole inside all those needs that I had were filled by you people some of you who are still who are here who were there back then and many of you who I have you know become friends with more recently so um, for me making it it was easy for me to fully jump into program because I had no life you know when I first got here they said go to 30 meetings in 30 days I understand that now it's suggested to go to 90 meetings in 90 days which of course makes me grateful I came in when I did Um, (laughs) Uh, although, if I could do 90 meetings in 90 days, that would be awesome. I, I, but now I have a life. So let me tell you what's going on now, because I have no idea when I started. I have no idea how much time I have left. Okay, thank you. So I want to talk about now, and I want to talk about what my nervousness was about. I had sent an email to my sponsor. I sent an email to her every night. Oh, you know, I haven't told you anything about numbers. So I started abstaining. I was abstaining for 12 and a half years. My brother was murdered. I went into a 10-year hellacious relapse. Got out of that relapse in um, 2008, 2008, at the birthday party, at the Eliana Group birthday party. And <laughs> I've got a hand cheering for the birthday party, and I agree. Um, it was, the, it was the, yeah, at the birthday party. My last binge was the Thursday night before that. And um, uh, so I've been abstaining, for, and that was in February. That was the one year that the birthday party was in February. So, so February 22nd is the day I started abstaining in 2008, so that's about... Was that seven and a half years or something? Um, and I sometimes I really hate saying I'm in program 29 years and only abstinent seven and a half years because I want to stand here and say, man, I've been fabulous and perfect all these years. Not me. I I I am a story of never giving up, no matter what, even when I'm embarrassed and ashamed and feel miserable. So I um, wrote to my sponsor. 
that, um, you know, I'd been asked about speaking here, but wasn't sure if I should because um, I've been questioning my food. You know, at the, 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 the definition of abstinence is, I, the, the quote that I remember is, working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight. Right at the moment, I'm not doing either of those. My weight's going up and down. It just is. And I also said here, um, actually I brought it with me because I wanted to make sure I said it right. I confess that I'm not willing to say that I'm no longer abstinent. I think, that would, uh, I think that would be punitive and damaging. I don't think there's anything to be gained from starting over. But I know that I have been using food to get through this hellish nightmare of Marilyn's cancer. My partner has breast cancer. So for the last 10 months, it has been a hellish nightmare. Now, I have been using food within the definition of my abstinence, which is three meals a day, Nothing in between unless there's going to be a long time between my meals. I'll text my sponsor and say, I'm going to have an apple or a packet of almonds. I don't eat recreational sugar. I don't eat pizza. Um, I think those are the only things at the moment. And there's a few other things. So I'm still, I'm still those things. But I'm eating more food at each meal. I would be lying. As I wrote here, I said, <laughs> I'd be lying. I wrote it down really well. You know, I, I have been using food. I'd be lying if I didn't admit it. So I don't know if I would be a hypocrite or an outright liar to get up in front of a room full of people and claim over seven years of abstinence. Well, as my sponsor tells me, the important thing for me to do is to tell you about my struggle because there may be other people here who are having a similar struggle. I do not relate to people who don't have difficulty. Oh, and I hate the word struggling. I'm not struggling, but I have challenges. Um, I don't relate to people who I personally do not relate to people who don't have trouble with food ever. God love them. God bless them. It's not me. I don't, I don't, I don't get a lot of um, help from that. But I, you know, sure, it, it's a war between your right to be who you are on this journey and your fear of other people's opinions of you and your opinion of yourself. So she also said that's the real war. I'd be showing people that I don't think very much of all the incredible work I've done in program, sharing my challenge before I found my answer. Well, I, I, um, these days my life is all about being a caretaker. I, I, have, I am college mom to my late brother's son. And, you know, to become a parent figure when the kid's 18 is a challenge. I mean, I love this boy. I've been part of his life uh, ever since I was able to start being part of his life. It's long, another story. So this week, I had him at my house, moved him into college on Thursday. I have chauffeured my partner to Cedar sinai Medical Center twice or three times. I've lost track. Um, I've done everything for everybody else. I'm not working full-time at the moment. I want to be. I've, I'm at a, a sort of like an existential point. I, I get help outside program from somebody who said, you know, Women, or maybe men too, but women of a certain age, we have this sort of now what in our lives. We have this looking back and what's back and what's in the future. And I've always had this mindset since I've been in program of, I really don't have to worry too much because God's going to take care of me. God hasn't brought me along this far to drop kick me out the door now. And some days I really feel that. Some days I feel okay with the fact that right now, my most important jobs are to take care of Marilyn and to take care of Jacob. That's my most important job. Of course, taking care of me is critical, too. That's why I come to meetings. That's why every morning I'm on my knees and I pray and I read. uh, This is for today and I have some other books that I read. Every night I'm on my knees again and I pray. Um, 
I send an email to my sponsor every night without fail. And I tell her everything I ate that day. I tell her a little bit maybe about what's gone on that day. I write down five things I'm grateful for. And I just started in the past two weeks something she does, which is today I forgive myself for something. Um, I, and, I've, and I've recently also started in the morning a prayer list. After I do my regular morning prayers, I think of people. There are people that in my life that need healing. And there are people that I want God to take care of. Marilyn and my nephews. And I have two nephews. And my sister and my brother. So I, I get out of myself a little bit because I can become very self-absorbed. I can become very self-absorbed. So I, I am kind of a work in progress I, I sometimes I say I'm a tough nut to crack because I don't have I, I can't stand here and tell you that I'm I'm abstaining 29 years. I would love it. I can't. I would love to be able to say my brother was murdered and I handled it well. I handled it as best I could. Eating that food is what kept me going. You know, I got up to 215 pounds. I never knew my top weight before that because once I saw 199, I wasn't going to step on a scale again. I am not 215 pounds anymore. Thank you, God. I would love to be able to tell you Marilyn got breast cancer and we've had, she had th- three surgeries in six weeks. I mean, it's, been, it's not been an easy course. I would love to tell you that I'm handling it with aplomb and with clear and perfect absence. I'm not. I don't give up. Is that it? Okay. I don't give up. Um, I don't have time to read for you one of my favorite dates in here, uh, June 7th, so you can read it yourself. It's, in, it's, it's about hope. If nothing else, I will never, please God, never stop coming here. Without this fellowship, I will die. Pure and simple. I hope that you all keep coming back as well because I need you because you are the fellowship. Thank you for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us, any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of, leader, of the leader, that would be me, are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you do not need to identify yourself because we are recording. But please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, who has a question? Thank you very much. Can you read June 7th? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would be delighted to read June 7th. <laughs> All the knowledge that I... Oh, the question was, could I read June 7th? I have a note here reminding myself to read the, repeat the question. All the knowledge that I possess, everyone else can acquire, but my heart is all my own. That was Johann Wolfgang Jung von Goethe. I think that's how he says his name. I don't know German very well. What I read in books, others can read. How I respond to the world is my alone. This is not a program of searching after facts, but of looking within, attending to my spiritual needs. It is my spirituality which nurtures all that is uniquely me. The 12 steps open my heart, free my mind, and release my God-given potential for the peaceful enjoyment of just being. After ignoring the spiritual part of me for so long, it is an adventure to discover it exists and to spend part of my day exploring its reaches. So my favorite parts right here for today. Whether my progress in program, in, sorry, whether my progress in working the program is fast or slow, and it's mostly slow, there is one thing I know I'll find: hope. I love that. Okay. Thank you very much.
Could you talk about your experience of your higher power? Sure. Sure. The question was, could I talk about my experience of my higher power? Um, how long do I speak for, by the way? Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, my experience of my higher power, when I first came into program, or before I came into program, I had a, uh, a bargaining relationship with God. Okay, God, if I do this, then you'll do that. If I don't eat this, then that'll happen. If I don't cheat here, then you'll give me that. If I do cheat here, then this will happen. So that's the sort of the, the relationship I had. Um, in my house, we didn't talk about God very much. I grew up, I grew up you know, I, I, I have a religion that I have a great strong belief in, which I developed uh, in a different way after, you know, as an adult. Um, so when I first got here and I heard people talking about this higher power thing and talking about God, I... It wasn't, it, didn't, it wasn't uncomfortable, but I didn't get this, that higher power was something other than this bargaining dude um, or gal, whatever. But then I read in the second step of the AA, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, it says, if you have problems with the concept of a higher power, use the fellowship as your higher power. So I would come to meetings, and I would look around, and I would think, here's a room full of people in various stages of recovery, and by the way, I believe that you are in some stage of recovery just because you're here. Whether you binged before you got here, or you binge after, being here means there's some recovery in you. So I would come to meetings and I'd think, this is a room full of people who have recovery. Surely they are a power greater than myself. So I turn my will in my life over to the fellowship. And I still believe today that when I'm having a difficult time and I need help, I can say what I need, I can speak the words, and the words sort of float above all of you, and your strength sort of absorbs them and helps me. So that was my higher power was I turned my will and my life over to the care of the fellowship of OA. Gradually over time, I began to learn, listening to people and people's experiences, I began to learn that God is actually... A, a source of strength that I can tap into on a daily basis or an hourly basis that gives me the strength and the whatever to move forward. So now I do believe that, I mean, I don't know what God is or who God is. Sometimes I meditate and I see this picture of God and my little, what I think might be God, and I'm a little five-year-old kid dancing on the beach going to God. Um, but now I believe that, I mean, that, listen, how do plants grow? There's got to be something. How do lights turn? Oh, well, that's electricity. You know, how do, the, how, do the, how, do, how do things happen? How do we get here? It's got to be something greater than me. So I don't know that I know what God is. I just know that I'm not it. Uh, so it, it took a little bit of time, but mostly it was having an open mind and listening to other people. That's really what did it. Okay. That answer your question okay? Okay. Yes. Hi, I was wondering how you, uh, by the way, thank you very much for sharing. You're welcome. Uh, how you navigated your relationships with your like overweight family when you started right. the program and how they, you know. Okay. The question was, uh, how did I navigate my relationships with my overweight family as I began to get into recovery? And before I answer that, I just want to jump back to one thing about God. And that is, when my brother was murdered, I had a very difficult time trusting or believing in God. I didn't lose my faith. I thought I, I didn't lose my faith because I kept trying to regain that relationship with God. If I had lost my faith completely, I wouldn't have tried, I believe. So I, I have had struggles. I have had doubts. I have sometimes thought, you know, God, what are you doing? Um, or, and there were times when I couldn't pray. So I spoke to my religious 
clergy and learned and got help with that. So it hasn't always been easy. And I haven't asked God why Marilyn has cancer. I haven't done that yet. Uh, maybe I won't um, because I guess there is no answer. There's no answer to why. There is no answer to why. It just is. Okay, so with my family, um, I think my sister thought I was in a cult. Um, my mother uh, took a long time to accept the fact that this is how I am now. Um, I had to realize that, you know, I, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do to get them to come to program. I can't, uh, I can't get them in. Actually, my parents are both gone now. Um, I just, I had to keep things to my, I, I had to keep things to myself a lot. Things that I was learning here, uh, the connections that I was making. Uh, but I will tell you that gradually over time, just sort of standing my ground and not overeating too much when I was with them, um, I don't, I can't remember, because this is a long time ago, I'm trying to remember how it happened that suddenly my mother started, when we would have family dinners, she'd start making sugar-free things for me. So she'd have the big dessert for everybody else and something set aside for me. So she came to accept it. Um, I think it was just a matter of letting my sister think I was in a cult and not trying to change her mind and letting it just be me. And there were times, you know, we, we'd buck heads, but we, you know, we'd buck heads anyway because we're siblings. We do that. Um, I feel like I'm not answering your question very well because I don't know what I did. I think it just happened over time because I just became a nicer and better person. Although I will tell you, there was some difficulty because I started thinking that I'm kind of holier than thou and I'm better than all of you overeating family members. And so that caused a lot of friction with me and uh, with my sister. Um, and that was not a good thing. So I had to be careful of walking around thinking, hey, you know, my, my whatever doesn't stink. So, hey, that became a problem for a little while until I got badly and seriously humbled. <laughs> okay. Back there. Thank you. When you went through your relapse, uh, were you still working the program? And if you were, how much different was it uh, compared to the times of abstinence you had? Okay. The question is, when I was in relapse, how did I work my program, and was did I continue to work my program, and was it how different was it from when I was abstinent? Is that okay? Um, well, I got to preface it by saying that I have memory issues these days. Um, I, I have been told that it's not unusual for women of a certain age. It can be hormonal, but also stress. And one of the things, as I said, I have, I am, I am an outside, I have an outside helper outside the program. Uh, and one of the things she keeps telling me is the stress that you have, Karen, is preventing, you know, my, my neural pathways from imprinting or causing problems. So, so I've tried to remember. So I was in relapse from 98 to 2008. I will tell you that I didn't stop coming to meetings. That's really, really important. There's a, there's a little book that we have, and in there it says, if you bring your body to the truth, when you are ready, the truth is there waiting for you. I don't remember the exact. I don't have it. It's into tiny shreds now, so I don't carry it with me anymore. Um, and the truth is the recovery of the fellowship. So I knew enough to keep coming here, to keep listening. And a lot of the people who are in the room today will remember me standing up at the podium, sharing with tears streaming down my face because I was in so much pain. Um, so I kept coming here. I think I do remember working, trying to work the steps with one of my friends, a sponsor, um, but it just got to be too much. I couldn't keep doing it. I would I, actually no, that wasn't it. It was he told me he did not have experience, strength and hope in dealing with 
the, you know, with murdered sibling and the ongoing trial. It was my, my, my brother's wife was having an affair and the two of them killed him. So, and it was a long going, it was seven and a half years from the day they killed him to the day they were sentenced. So it was a long, 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 arduous process. So I don't know that I was able to continue working the steps as well because I, it was enough for me just to get up each day and, and go through the day. The other thing that happened, strangely enough, is I was working full-time and going to law school at night for part of that. <laughs> Speaking about being an overachieving glutton for punishment. Um, so f- for me, I was just I was doing what I could. I was reading the, the, my, my daily meditation books. I kept doing that. I kept talking to people. I'm very open. I, I you know, unzip the insides and throw out my guts. Because I know here people aren't going to stomp on them. Other places people will stomp on guts. Here people don't. Uh, so it, was, it, it, it wasn't quite the same. I couldn't quite focus on the steps as well. But I was doing my reading. I was talking to people. And I'm saying the same things over and over again. I hope that helps. Anybody else? Hi, Doreen. Can you talk about um, your experience with sponsorship? What does it mean to have a sponsor? How do you deal with having so, okay, so the question is about sponsorship, not me as a sponsor as much as me having a sponsor. Okay, okay, so the question is about me having a sponsor. I have had lots of sponsors. In 29 years, I have had lots of sponsors. I'm, I always feel a little bit envious for those people who say, I've had the same sponsor for 25 years. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't. Um, uh, but I, I, knew, I knew pretty early, because I heard people say it, that that... You know, without a sponsor, it's, you just, it's just, for me, not possible to work the program. I've heard it from other people, too. And, and one of the main reasons, the most obvious reason for that is, is this head, I have a filter. I have a filter that changes things around in here, that, that rationalizes, that, that um, or my, the biggest thing for me is I, I am great with a sledgehammer. There is nobody in the world who gives me as hard a time as I do. So, is that me five minutes? Thank you so much. So, for me, uh, it's, it's being able to have somebody else in the fellowship who has walked the path before me, who will help me along the way, in the good times and the bad times. Um, I've worked the steps with a number of different sponsors in a number of different ways. It's really been cool. I've, I've you know, read every more, you know, I read a page out loud to my sponsor on the phone and we talk about it. I've, you know, read a paragraph a day and written on it and then at the end of each step, you know, uh, read that. I've always had somebody else to help me. Um, even in my relapse, I had a couple of different sponsors who were trying to, um, helped me with the pain that I was going through. As I said, my, my one, uh, one sponsor at the time, God rest his soul, didn't have the experience. Uh, thank you for him that he didn't. What I'll talk about is the sponsor I have now. The sponsor I have now is the most kind and gentle and loving and amazing woman. Um, we don't talk very often. She's got a very busy life. We don't talk very often. Every night before I go to bed, I send her an email. And I'll tell you what, I'm now on a quest never to miss a night because I want to say that's the one thing I've never done, I've never missed. Um, Even when I had shoulder surgery and I couldn't use my arm, I would dictate my email and my my partner would type it up to her. (laughs) So I never missed, except for one night, I typed my email and I inadvertently sent it to my partner instead of to my sponsor, so I don't know if that counts or not. Um, but, But what I've learned... 
what I've learned from her is honesty. No matter what. When I do embarrassing, awful, horrible things, I think they're embarrassing, awful, and horrible. I write them down and I tell her. If I ate stupid stuff, if I did something stupid, if I did something embarrassing, I tell her. And she handles me with kid gloves. But honestly, honesty, she will, she will say, you know, I wonder if dot, dot, dot. She calls it uh, poking the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> you know, and the first time she did that, I was like, oh, how? Oh, she's right. So for me, it's, it's critical because left to my own devices, I'm back to 215 pounds or more. I'm lonely as hell. Uh, I lose every gift of this program that I've ever gotten. And uh, I'm just walking in circles. It's absolutely critical. Other questions? Carol? Um, thanks for your share so much, Karen. Um, so many questions I want to ask, but um, I think I'll ask, when you were going through that awful ordeal with your brother, this is true, your brother, and now, you know, with your partner having cancer, what, what is it that people around you do that is helpful to support you, and what is it that wasn't so helpful? Okay, that's a really good question, Carol. She asked, oh, sorry. She, <laughs> she asked, um, when, uh, when my brother was murdered and now with, with my partner having cancer, what is it that people around me have done to, that helped? And what have people around me done that didn't help? Um, telling me, okay, the things, oh, let me talk about what didn't help first. Well, what does help is listen and listen. <laughs> and say, you know, people, I've learned that people in our society don't know how to handle death. Just don't. And people say the dumbest things. Well-meaning, but, hey, at least you had him for 32 years, or he's in a better place, or whatever. Well, screw that. <laughs> I want him here, and 32 years wasn't enough. That's all to say. Um, and telling me what to do. Well, maybe you should do this, or why don't you try that? That I get from my sponsor. Or if I ask you, what, what have you done in this situation? I am, I, 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 you know, I, I, with Marilyn, it's been interesting. Well, you know, my cousin had breast cancer, and she did really well, and then she died. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. Thank you very much. Um, what, I, what I might want to know is not what you think I should do, but if you had a similar situation, what did you do? Um, and that's what I try to do with people. I try really hard. Um, I, I don't want people to say, I know how you feel. Because you know what? You don't. Just like I've learned, I will not tell you, I know exactly how you feel. I'm insulted by that. Maybe I'm too prickly about that. I'm also one of the most sensitive people on the planet, in my mind. Um, what I will say to somebody is, you know what, I, I don't presume to know how you feel, but in my situation, this is how I felt. Because what I want to know is what you did to survive. Um, okay, so that's, that's, in a nutshell, that's that. Thank you all very much. This has been great.